that book was written with 10 lessons on how to make more money, help more people and have more fun. Kind of my recipe of being happy. So what I did was. This is Rebranding Cannabis. I'm your host, Jared Mursky, and you're listening to the show that helps the industry grow. Hear from industry titans, thought leaders, and the up-and-coming founders of this multi-billion dollar industry. Presented by Wick and Mortar. Welcome to another episode of Rebranding Cannabis. Uh, my next guest is David Meltzer, who is one incredible human being. He's been featured on Inc., uh, ESPN. He's been a speaker uh, for South by Southwest. Um, you've been, you were, uh, you were granted a humanitarian award, marketing humanitarian award, for uh, by Variety Magazine as well. Um, just very well accomplished and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you have one of the top-rated um, entrepreneur podcasts, The Playbook. Yes, I do. I've uh, listened to a few episodes. They are great, man. That's a phenomenal podcast. Um, Thank you. So let's kind of jump into it. Tell me a little bit about your background and, and how you got started in uh, you know, sports marketing. You know, if you connected the dots backwards, you would never believe the journey. So I'm going to start with the thematic way that I started, which was about money. I grew up poor. I always joke around when I speak around the world. I'll ask people who here grew up poor. Half the audience always raises their hand. And I'll say, like I do to my daughters, I feel sorry for the rest of you uh, because it was the biggest advantage I've ever had was to grow up with nothing and to understand that I literally was motivated because I believe that money would buy happiness and love. I believe that money was the only missing component in my life because I had a single mom with six kids, worked two jobs, packed my dinner in a paper bag, and I didn't know any better, but I was super happy, except for when I saw my mom frustrated or stressed about money. The car would break down or college uh, tuition might become due or whatever else it may be. And moreover, I thought for sure money would buy me love and happiness and what I set out to do at five years old when my dad left was to buy my mom a house and a car. And so my entire journey uh, up into a point was about money. I defined myself by my bank account. I bought things I you know, didn't need to impress people I didn't like. Uh, and the advantage though, I will tell you, if you're motivated by money, the advantage is this. My siblings all wanted to please my mom. So my mom used to say doctor, lawyer, or failure. So they had very closed-minded uh, opportunities in, in their life. They, they were specifically, you know, the fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school. So they, they didn't have many options in their lives where when you just want money, you're pimping yourself out all over the place to figure out how you can make more money. You don't care what it is. In fact, my second year in law school, uh, I remember sitting on my bed telling God, hey, man, if you just give me enough money to buy my mom a house, a car, and pay off my law loans, I'll shovel shit with my hands six days a week, 12 hours a day. I don't care. I just want to be rich. And that became a huge advantage because I always kept my options open. I was always looking for opportunities. You know, you mentioned my podcast as an entrepreneur. That entrepreneurial journey is always looking to figure out how you can make some coin, how you can build wealth. And my problem was I attached my happiness to that wealth. So I always define myself. If, you know, I made a big deal, I was the happiest person in the world. If I screwed up a deal, I was, you know, suicidal. You know, everything was revolving yeah. around that bank account. <laughs> But uh, I, I was blessed. I um, 
nine months out of law school. Well, first in law school, this is a, a cool journey because I know in the cannabis space, a lot of people have parents like mine. And when I graduated law school, I got a job offer to be an oil and gas litigator, make six figures, probably be able to buy my mom a house and a car. But I took a job selling on the internet in 1992. Wow. Now, in 1992, the internet is about where cannabis is. You know, like people kind of got it, but it definitely is not where it's going. You know, yeah, it's and very much in a different it, stage. It, Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So I go to my mom, I'm like, hey, uh, what should I do? She literally told me this, and you probably hear this in your space, right? Internet's a fad. You're gonna ruin your life. You gotta be a real lawyer. And that's where I learned that famous lesson that everyone should listen to. Just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. So find someone that sits in the situation you want to be in. Find someone that is closer to where you want to go and ask them for directions. Don't ask people that have no clue where they are for directions where you want to go. It ain't going to work out. You'll end up resenting them. Yeah, I mean, you said, so yeah. you said something in a video you did. You said, I don't think people do what they love. I think they learn or are inspired to love what they do. Yeah, I still believe that. You know, I have uh, been blessed. I ran the most notable sports agency in the world. So I have surrounded myself with some of the most famous, successful celebrities, athletes, entertainers, billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs. The two things they have in common is one, uh, that their life sucks just as much as your life sucks and my life sucks. The difference is they've learned to love the suck. They've learned to find the light, the love, and the lessons and the hard things in life where they can enjoy practicing. They can enjoy waking up at four in the morning and drinking a, a glass of egg, you know, like all these little things. There's just this unbelievable perspective. And I had that perspective. And nine months out of law school, I took the sales job. I was a millionaire. I bought my mom a house and a car. Now, this is when the negative side of money came in because not only would I define myself by the money, but it reinforced that money bought happiness. Cause I was super happy when I bought my mom a house and a car. I was super happy when I bought a Ferrari. I was super happy when I bought a ski mountain and a golf course. I was super happy uh, when, you know, I went up to the Silicon Valley. We sold, the first company I worked for, we sold for $3.4 billion in 1995. Uh, wow. So you're, you're gonna see these yeah. types of opportunities as well in the cannabis space, you'll, you'll see. And people, it'll set people's trajectory in a different way. And then I went to the Silicon Valley, raised hundreds of millions of dollars of middleware, ended up at 30, literally with every single thing I wanted. I was CEO of the world's first smartphone. They didn't even call, in 1999, they didn't even call them smartphones. They called them convergence devices. You converged a, a laptop and a phone in one. Uh, literally, it was a Windows, a Windows device. I worked with Microsoft and Samsung called the PCE phone, a combo of a PC and a phone. I remember that phone. It was just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so I was CEO, but I also, you know, married my dream girl uh, that I met in the fourth grade. And ironically, I thought it was the money because she hated me. Elementary, junior high, high school hated me. Deservingly so, by the way. I threw an egg at her. I made fun of her. So, uh, you know, it was you, not necessarily hold, hold her on. fault. You threw an egg at her? Is that? Yes. True story. So uh, I moved from Akron, Ohio to San Diego. First girl I see through my window is this girl that I'm married to today. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's so cute. In sixth grade camp, I asked my best friend, Robbie, to ask her to go steady with me. And she said, no, tell him to, to ask me himself. He yells out in front of everyone, dude, she said no. And so I was so embarrassed. I threw an egg at her when I got home and hit her in the back of the head. Um, and so that's how the love story began. 
And here I was married to her at 30, my dream girl. Mm -hmm. So in my mind at 30, not only you know, did money define me, but it actually did buy me happiness and love. Uh, and then the lessons would come from there to teach me about money and relationship to money. Um, and I ended up uh, in 2006 being CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world and later partnering with Warren Moon, the Hall of Fame quarterback, running the company that I founded with him, Sports One Marketing. Last three and a half years, though, uh, I've really built my own brand. As you said, I have a, a podcast. I have four best-selling books. I have two TV shows. I have Elevator Pitch, uh, which we have a green episode of Elevator Pitch, by the way. Um, and that's on Cheddar. It's a digital show, six seasons. And I'm just launching on Bloomberg TV and Amazon, Two Minute Drill, uh, where it's a pitch competition for $50,000 worth of cash and prizes every episode. Uh, so a little nuance that I love because I think the data and the input is going to be much more valuable to people on how to pitch than to pretend like we're funding companies like the Shark Tank and Dragon's Den and Elevator Pitch. You know, most of the companies, by the time they vet out, you're not giving good advice to people in two minutes on how to, you know, raise $2 million. That's not real. But a two-minute pitch, that's real. And the advice you get is real. So that's what motivated me to do that. I speak around the world. I have uh, free training every Friday. Coaching is a big part of my life. I do executive coaching, group coaching, free trainings, books, exercises, guides, trainings, all for free. So that's the journey I'm on. And uh, I left off the, the one part that you probably know about you, that you want me to talk about is how the hell did I lose everything in 2008? Yep. <laughs> I do. You know, I, I, I was I was listening to a lot of things and watching a lot of things. You know, it's like, wow, you, you were at the top, you know, and then, you know, What's great about what's great about having everything and then losing everything is is something that you brought up and that's um, gratitude. You know, it's saying thank you every morning and saying thank you every night. And like you said, you do that for thirty days straight, you're going to notice an, a significant change in the way that you perceive um, life. It puts you in a completely different mindset of positivity, and I think that also plays a huge role in emotional intelligence. And something that I do on the daily is I look at all of the things that I did. If I was rude to someone or I said something snarky or whatever the case is, I always look back and I go, why did I do that? Why, why did I say that that way? What kind of mood was I in at that time? Could I have handled that differently? And so I'm constantly, constantly cataloging all of these experiences I have so that I can go back and go, okay, well, how can I, how can I become a better version of myself by deepening the understanding as it relates to the things that I do? And I think if people can figure that out, they can become much more emotionally intelligent. And I don't know if you've seen this book, you know, the like switch, you know, how to win and how to win people over and influence friends. Like that was a huge, that was a huge book to me because, you know, I, I'm such a people pleaser and I love to network. And so I want to add value to as many people as I can. I don't expect anything in return, but I know David that this kismic world of energy, right? something good will eventually happen to me. And I know you know that's true. Yeah, and you, yeah, exactly. And I have a few nuances to that. You know, number one, not only does it assist you gratitude with your emotional intelligence, you'll find that in the next decade, people are gonna talk about a third type of intelligence, more than just IQ and EQ, they're gonna talk about adaptable intelligence. And so, you know, your ability to adapt because of technology, what's happening is things change very quickly. 
Uh, more will happen in the next 10 years than happened in the past thousand years. Uh, and that's guaranteed because of technology. So that adaptable intelligence is based off of your perspective of finding the light, the love and the lessons. In other words, when things change quickly, there's mistakes, failures, and, and of course, pain. Most people see pain as a stop sign. With gratitude, it becomes a turn signal. It's just teaching you a lesson to get to somewhere better and make a situation better for you. And that nuance that you said as a people pleaser, someone who loves to be productive, to provide value to others. The only nuance that I've learned, um, you know, in 2006, I lost, uh, well, in 2006, I actually hit rock bottom. I didn't lose everything. 2008, I lost everything. But my wife kind of put it out there that I was uh, in the wrong world. You know, I'd been born in a world of not enough where I was a victim. Things happened to me. I was kind of a why me person. Why don't I have this? Why do they have a nice house? Why can't I have this? Then I moved as a millionaire into the world where a lot of people live. They think they're abundant, but they're living in the world of just enough, uh, just enough for me. So I was buying things I didn't need, different things I didn't need, more things I didn't need to impress people I didn't even like. And everything was for me. And I thought I was an optimist. I thought of that cosmic kismet world of the more I give, the more I'll receive sooner or later. But I've shifted that paradigm as I ended up in 2008 after I went through my paradigm shift in 2006. It takes a while to lose over $100 million, but I managed to do that. Surrounding myself with the wrong people, the wrong ideas. I realized that I needed to shift the paradigm of value, that no longer was money gonna define me, no longer did it buy happiness or love. All it did was allow me to shop. And if I shop for the right things, I'll be happy. But if I shop for things I don't need or to impress people I don't like, I'm gonna be unhappy. And so I set forth on saying, you know what? What if I change the direction of giving? Because I can't give what I don't receive. I can't give gratitude. I can't give forgiveness. I can't give accountability unless I have it for myself. I can't give love. I need to learn to love myself. In other words, I better focus in on receiving because most people like you and I, when we're people pleasers, when we love to give to receive, we end up not getting as much because we're not asking. And if our intention is truly to give it away, what better thing than to have the people on the universe that want to give everything away, receive the most. And so that became my objective. I created a mission to empower over a billion people to be happy. I started to focus in on asking for help, asking for what I wanted so I could give it away. So now I receive in a world of more than enough because I have faith and another object of energy that you put into the flow, another currency, just like money. I have faith that I am going to receive everything and I deserve it and I'm worthy of it. So. I can give it away, which is different than giving to receive, which is a negotiation or a trade. I now live in a world of more than enough of everything for everyone because I have faith there is, and therefore it comes through me, not for me or so to me. So how can me. people take the same steps you took who are perhaps going through the same situations you went through? Um, and and I guess to pre you know to second that, to second question that, or to, to add a second question to that, um, would you say that this was ultimately your your direct pursuit of your potential? Yeah, so I think it still is. So one thing I've learned about the lessons that I've learned is that I forget every lesson I've ever learned, but I have the power to access it and I don't know what I don't know. And the more that I do know, the more I learn that I got more to know. So that quandary is always there. For me, I say, number one, understand your own core principles. Mine are very simple. Gratitude gives me perspective. Forgiveness gives me peace. 
Accountability gives me control. And I understand the continuance of inspiration, meaning that motivation just gets you up. It won't get you there. It'll get you back up. It won't get you there. It'll get you started. It won't get you there. It'll get you restarted. It won't get you there. So when I started realizing that I have to have tools to get motivated, I have to have tools to transition the motivation to inspiration, to live life through me. And so I created five daily practices that can help everybody make more money, help more people and have more fun. The first one is the most important. People don't know what they want. They hide behind the why. They confuse the issue by the why, but they don't know what you want. If you don't believe me, go out today with your friends or family and say, hey, what do you want to do? 99.9% .9 of them are say, I don't know. Go to dinner and ask, what do you want to eat? They're going to say, I don't know. People don't know what they want. Why? Because they don't take inventory of their values. So what I want to press upon everybody as a daily practice is number one, take inventory of your values every day. Personal values. What are your non-negotiable values for your person? Two, experiential values. What do you want to experience today? Make a plan. Three, giving values. What do you want to give today? How much value do you want to provide? And four, most importantly, can't give what you don't receive. What do I want to receive today? And if you take inventory of your values with the caveat that you're not afraid of being a hypocrite, because most people, they're afraid of change. You know, there's an old saying, only, you know, wet babies like change. Everyone else hates change. You got to embrace change. That means you're accelerating and growing. So you're going to be a hypocrite. You're going to make mistake, fail. There's going to be pain. That's just an indicator you're on the right way, the right path, in a better place, in a better position. If you do this, you take inventory of your values, then you can move to the second step. You have a quick question there? Oh, I was there? just going to say, it just, it, it makes me think of, um, uh, you know, this, this saying a friend of mine, a friend of mine once told me, said, Jared, the teacher will appear when the student is ready. You know, you can learn anything yeah. from anybody at any time, so long as you're willing and open to learn and listen. That's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, because we should be doing twice as much listening as talking. <laughs> Being more interested than interesting, right. right? That's one of my favorite sayings. Be more interested than interesting. That's why we got two ears. And yes, the teacher will always appear. Uh, pain is an indicator that you have a lesson to learn, and that teacher will appear uh, as you indicate what needs to be learned. So the second daily practice to help people that helped me was a really interesting one. I call it the ask and attract. Most people don't ask. I have made it a practice to ask one simple question in person on the phone, via email, and media, radio, print, TV, social media, podcast, it doesn't matter. I ask one question. Do you know anyone that can help me bring more people to my free trainings or whatever it is I'm asking for? Do you know anyone that can help me? Uh, why this is so important is because everybody is not a gatekeeper. The, the mind shift that you take from saying that everybody's standing in my way compared to everyone's a sponsor of mine. Everyone's a power sponsor of mine. The minute you start asking everyone you meet, do you know anyone that could help me? You are understanding the abundant nature of the universe that one branch will not go to war against another branch. One branch is not stopping the other branch. Um, it's not going to kill the tree. Uh, and so we need to make sure that you know, we are asking as many people. I actually still check my sent box on my email to see how many people I'm asking, do you know anyone that could help me and be able to do that? 
the other question in a series of questions asked, of course, after you find out if they have someone that can help you, is how can you be of service or value to them? So that's the ask and attract model, practice number two. The third practice, which is essential, is to be a student of your calendar. Now, being a student, I have an interesting definition of because I think being a student allows for you to leverage the mathematical equation of luck. Now, what is that mathematical equation of luck? Number one, what I pay attention to, what I focus in on. Number two, plus what I give intention to, what I think, say, do, believe, and even the quantum memories that I have, which really constitute my personality traits, my characteristics, my obsessions and addictions. But if I take what I pay attention to and add it to what I give intention to, it'll equal the mathematical equation of luck, the coincidences in my life. So what do I study? I study what I have planned. I study what I don't have planned, the empty space in my day, and I study my sleep. Sleep is the easiest one. It's one third of our life. It's the number one habit we all share. It's the only time that we have a direct connection subconsciously and unconsciously to the flow of the universe, the great source of power, light, and love. But more importantly, I'm looking with a lens of productivity of how much value I can provide, a lens of accessibility of how accessible to others and how am I accessing what I want. And of course, the lens of gratitude, trying to find the lessons in everything, trying to find, learn to love everything. So I'm studying what I have planned, what I don't have planned and my sleep, getting the coincidences based on the values that I set forth at the beginning of the day in order to effectuate the most I can out of every day. The fourth thing mm-hmm. is the go ahead, you have something? I was just gonna ask uh, the you, fourth you thing know, it I was yeah. just gonna ask you about quantum quantum memories. You you kind of just like you kind of glossed over that, but I was passed over that. But I was like, wait, hold on, <laughs> let's go back to that real quick because that to me is is that is that a bit of astrology? Is it like thinking about your your past it's, it's actually science that it, it's interesting because it, it's a variance of a lot of things so i believe our quantum memory is our dna uh our dna is a mathematical code it, it's a, a physical code and that code i think is who we are genetically they've proven about four generations of code is passed down from your great grandparents your grandparents your parents to you into that code Now, I also, you were talking about astrology. I believe it has some metaphysical capability, meaning that I think there's lifetimes of code that comes in, you know, in with you. And so how they manifest is the most important thing, right? It manifests itself into who you are, your personality, your characteristics, obsessions and addictions. Why is this important? Because this is where people get hung up. You ever meet that person who's like, I'm doing all the right things. I'm thinking, saying, doing, believing all the right things. And you're, you're asking them questions and, and they really are amazingly good people. And, you know, and, but yet I, I can't break through. I'm stuck or I'm not getting what I want. Well, that's because your quantum energy, your frequency keeps attracting the exact same thing, regardless of what you think, say, do, and believe. And so moreover, if we can activate the quantum memories that we want, if we can activate we can change our frequency. Now, the same thing works in reverse. You and I have both met the people. You're like, how the heck does that guy have everything? He is a moron, right? Like how, right? Like this guy is amazing. Well, because he's carrying a quantum memory 
that literally is a higher frequency than his actions of what he thinks, says, does, and believes. And he just, you know, falls into the gutter and comes out smelling like roses. That's a frequency to me. So I believe we can activate our quantum memory, our deepest, hardest core memories that exist that create the personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, addictions, and frequency in our life. Why is this important though? Let's take it down to a pragmatic level. So people give you this BS about habits. You know, you're an aggregate of your habits, that's true, but they tell you you can form any habit in 21 days. That's not true. Yeah, that's not true. If you have a quantum memory of something that you want to create, it'll it'll happen within 21 days, no problem. But let's take, for example, like alcoholism, which is carried down from generations to generations. If you stop drinking for 21 days, that does not mean that you now have the habit not to drink, like you've beat it, right? You can't, you can't change that habit because it's quantum in your nature. Now, other people that don't have that quantum nature to be an alcoholic or obsessive about drinking, they easily could quit within 20, 21 days. You know, smoking, for example, you know, me, nicotine for me, if I put a, a, a dip in my mouth, I'll, by tomorrow, I'll be running to the grocery store and I, I need you know, nicotine. That's how addictive my quantum memory is. Where my wife, right, she like invariably when we were, you know, younger would smoke a cigarette and then not have one for six months. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't in her That's being. How I am too. And so you have, to, yeah, it's crazy. And, and But we have to start realizing that we have certain quantum capabilities. And I really believe that because as you look at potential, you know, some of the things you want to pick where you have your highest potential. So if LeBron James, for example, would have picked to be an internet salesperson like myself, he probably wouldn't have been as good as I am because uh, it's not quantum in his nature. Just the same that if I wanted to be uh, the NBA powered forward and MVP of, you know, multiple championships, I probably would pick the wrong quantum memory there because my potential isn't quite the LeBron James. So David, do you ever think about because you've been doing sports marketing for so long and you've been selling, you know, legal for so long. Do you ever think about like, God, if I didn't do any of this, what else would I be, what else would I be equally as good at? And I think about that all the time. I'm like, I'm in the cannabis industry. I've been, you know, I started my first branding agency when I was 19 and, you know, I got into the cannabis space in 2009 and started the first cannabis focused branding and marketing firm in the world. And that was cool. But it's like, what else? am I good at because I like playing guitar and I like singing and I have all of these things that I know now, given how far I've come that with the right love, passion and inspiration, you can take any one of those things and turn it into a business. You just have to be determined enough. Yeah. And you got to align the capabilities of what you love. You know, one of those music or whatever, you have to align the capabilities that you have within there, which is, okay, what skills do I have? according to music, what knowledge do I have of, of it and who I know within the industry and then apply that desire that must be what you can be, but find how it's synergistic and supplementary to the monetization of, of that topic or theme or industry or career. Most people don't take that last step, right? They, they follow these passions. You know, I want to be an artist. I want to be, a, but look, but they don't follow, for me, they don't follow if through. it's going to make, they don't follow through. That's the issue. Yeah. Because they don't, if it's a business, they don't follow through with the most critical thing is, how am I going to make money with this? I have so many people pitch me so much shit. <laughs> and like, I will ask them, okay, great idea. How, how are we going to, you're asking me for money for this. Tell me how you're going to make money. Um, and I'm like, are you kidding like, me? Don't even like, waste my time. You have the nerve to ask me for, 
yeah, you, you have the nerve to ask me for a million dollars and you don't even know how you're going to make a million dollars. Come on, man. The way that we raise money is simply, you better be able to articulate in a quantifiable manner. Can you see any reason you won't want to move forward? You invest that million. I promise you, you're going to make two million. I'm incredible. There's emotional attachment. And I've articulated that to you. People are crazy when they literally have a dream of this. But I love, I had a kid today. I love being a sports agent. I'm like, you don't know what it's like to be a sports agent, one. But two, you love sports. So does about 90% of, of the population on earth. They love a sport. That doesn't mean you're going to be a sports agent. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's interesting because, you know, I have, uh, I'm not even like, I love playing sports more than I like watching them. And I've already, you know, and I've interviewed quite a bit of athletes working on a documentary right now with Ricky Williams. Yeah, he's my client. He went oh, to my no high shit. school. Okay, so so Ricky yeah. is one of my really good friends. Um, we just had Sean Kemp on the show, like was last week. He's <laughs> yeah, he's a good buddy too. And and so, anyways, back to Ricky. Ricky, I don't know if, when the last time you've had a conversation with him, but as you know, after he left the NFL, he pursued a career in cannabis, uh, herbalism, and, astro and yep. astrology. And um, I've spent a lot of time with him, and he is one of the most spiritually woke people I've ever met. Um, and I've learned a lot about, uh, you know, astrology and, and more importantly, applying astrology to branding. You're going to love this. This is called astral branding. So this is something that Rick, I love it. That Ricky and I have been doing. And it's essentially, and, and, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it also kind of ties into a lot of the stuff that you've been talking about as it relates to one's journey into understanding themselves, their self-worth. Um, and I think that plays a huge role in how brands are built or should be, right? And so when, um, when working with Ricky, one of the things that we've done, and this is just an example, but Red Bull um, supposedly, uh, and you're a sports marketing guy, so you like this, but Red Bull was supposedly built off of Astro branding, at least their, their, their story. Um, the, the birth chart of the business was formed in and during the time of Aries, which means to go where no man's gone before. It's also red, it's got horns. And, and then when you look at the meaning of the Taurus, which is the sign, uh, the birth chart of the sign that um, the CEO and founder was born on, that's a Taurus, that's a bull. Uh, taurine is also the main ingredient in Red Bull. And then there's of course depth behind that particular um, archetype, so to speak. And so what they did is they combined these two to formulate them this, this backstory as it relates to the brand, which to me makes me think of, you know, that this quantum memory, so to speak. And so you can almost build yeah. a quantum memory or some sort of DNA that exists in a brand. And, and so anyways, I wanted to share that with you because we haven't really talked a lot about, um, you know, branding and marketing. And I think because you're also heavily involved in now the CBD space, um, I wanted to hear your thoughts about you know, using what you've learned as it relates to emotional intelligence, the customer journey, and the brands that you're starting to see emerge in the sports uh, and the athletic space as it relates to CBD and, and cannabis products. Yeah, I think you nailed it with Red Bull, right? In the CBD and cannabis space, I look at something called frequency. And the example that I utilize in branding, especially with cannabis and CBD, is a very simple brand that's out there. But uh, this person has more 
more uh, subscribers on YouTube than all of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. All of our heroes, you know, that, that you know, Ricky and I grew up with, uh, at least as football fans, but I couldn't imagine. And it's Dr. Pimple Popper. And when you look at the cannabis and CBD space, you know, there's a frequency. Um, and historically, you know, I believe I love to study history and to study the history of CBD, to study the history of, of cannabis, human nature never changes. Mm -hmm. And so that human nature itself has its own astro branding as well as a frequency. So when I'm working with athletes, celebrities, entertainers, when I'm working with organizations, leagues, teams, all who I worked with early on in the gambling space that now has become legal and adopted and adapted. And, you know, they're putting people in jail for it and banning them from hall of fames for gambling, but now it's okay to put up a big ass billboard and, you know, have every single casino and fantasy thing everywhere. But back then, same thing with cannabis. And if you understand historically, you know, the economic reasons why cannabis has the negative brand, uh, association with it, or even worse, in my opinion, why CBD <laughs> has a negative brand or, or you know, uh, relationship or frequency. It's all because the people that had the money didn't want to lose the business because cannabis and CBD was a far greater product, cheaper to grow and to sell and to harvest and all the things that we're learning today. I think they didn't know, though, like we do today, they were not aware of the incredible power that it has, the incredible frequency uh, that cannabis and CBD has. It, you know, you, name me one other natural healing agent, right? One other, besides oxygen, probably, you know, next to oxygen, CBD and cannabis have more positive effects on the human mind, body, and soul. Hear me, I said the human mind, body, and soul than every other item that I have seen in existence on earth, except for maybe oxygen. Uh, you're right. O oxygen by far, water. you know, is very Water's important. Water's important. <laughs> Water includes oxygen, right? Hydrogen okay, sure. and oxygen. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I thought of that by the way, but you know, CBD, we don't, you know, as much as we know that it does uh, as a heal, as a healing, right? We're always healing. See, where the paradigm shifts for CBD and cannabis is that in order to understand the power of it, and this is where I believe and where I market with the athletes, the leagues, organizations, is that once you decide that we are healed, mm -hmm. right? So see, here's what people don't understand. They think we need to be healed. No, no, no. Your actual being is a purely healed being. You're, you're a purely, you know, balance being it's all the things that we do we don't sleep enough we don't exercise enough we overfeed ourselves we you know use caffeine or other detriments that what they interfere with our yeah. healing C cbd and cannabis don't interfere with the homostatus stat the status of being healed but it, what it does do is it clears the interference it clears the corrosion mentally physically and spiritually it, it literally clears that. So it, it's almost like, you know, the Lysol of the body, mind, and soul, because it's clearing the connection to what we already are connected to, which is abundance, infinity, limitlessness, all of these other things. And I think over the next century, that this awareness of the power of CBD and cannabis, mm -hmm. which then will, you know, determine, like you said, I people don't understand the size of the market. They don't understand. It's unfathomable 
you know, e- even with personal brands, I tell everyone right now, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how big you are. You're like three and a half years, Dave, you know, you're, you're like considered with, and I'm like, you haven't even seen anything. You know, like you're talking about, you know, 43 million people in a week. That's nothing. There's 4.4 billion people out there that can be reached. CBD can be literally infused in almost everything. Hemp, by the way, cannabis, by the way, all healing agents that keep us in our normal status. And that's just going to be able to to proliferate everything. And it will be a much faster adoption than even gambling. Uh, it it well, absolutely forget, will be in all sports. And don't forget about textiles too. People can build homes and I mean, create fabrics and all sorts of materials using this. This is a biodegradable product that could be repurposed into plastics. And I mean, there's so many amazing things. You know, there's packaging companies taking the pulp and actually, you know, the the waste from these uh, farms and converting that into actual substrate packaging. It's insane. Yeah, and, and it grows like a weed, yeah. so it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Zen Pack is doing some pretty amazing things in in the the packaging space as well. I mean, there's just a lot of really cool, uh, you know, companies doing some pretty amazing things using this material. But to back to your point, you know, I think uh, one of the things because the industry is still very much in its infancy stage, from a branding perspective, we need to determine and more or less define these unique differentiating value propositions as it relates to the brands themselves. Because as you look amongst the brands in the CBD space, it's very evident, David, that most of them are all kind of this like, you know, one brand to rule them all. You know, let's cater to everyone we can and let's throw every freaking product we can under the sun under one brand when that's not how the CPG world works. It's built based off of niche focused categories because there's data involved in each of those independent categories as well. And an opportunity to convert a customer from one category into another, thus reducing your customer acquisition costs, right? Now, I'm speaking shit you already know, but um, for those that are listening that don't really know much about you know, branding cannabis or CBD for that matter, you know, what do you think some areas uh, in the, the sports world are that we can improve CBD products as it relates to that specific niche? Yeah, I think as an anti-inflammatory is the number one uh, space, right? It's an incredible, irritation and inflammation is the number one killer of athletes. And whether it be in their gut, which they don't pay much of attention to, their joints, their ligaments, their muscles, uh, CBD is extremely powerful as an anti-inflammatory. It's extremely healing. And I think that you know, the negative shadow that has been around uh, the solution has caused the interference from, you know, a a pure efficacy of what we should be doing within all sports. And I think you're going to see very quickly because of the data that we can provide that it's the pimple popper example to me is that once you get, once you get our heroes, you know, Ricky's an anomaly. Right. Even when we represented him and he was with the Argonauts and got suspended from the league and went on his walkabout, you know, with mushrooms and weed and everything. And Lee was in it. Lee Steinberg, my partner, was in a tent with him, you know, out in Thailand or wherever the hell he was. Uh, you know, so when you have Sean Kemp and, and, and Ricky, you know, that's one thing. But when you start 
you know, really getting mainstream and you get those, you know, 90% of a team using something and the trainers and the team doctors prescribing That's it right. to the moms and the dads That's and, right. and the kids, it's, it's going to get there. And so what we need to do is understand that frequency. One of the things, no matter what your brand is, you got to stick to your frequency. This is why I love the pimple popper lady, because people are like, are you kidding me? But she sticks to, to what she does, right? And if they stick to each of these different areas, you will see that those niches, and, and I call it the 100 million mark. So right now, whether you see it in like the babe wine, like, uh, you know, uh, all, all the little wines that come out and what happened, beverage companies, they build to like 30 million, but they build an audience and then the big company buys them for a hundred million. So they cash out for the rest of their grandkids life. You know, some entrepreneur that built a company up to 30 million with a big following. And now they take a multi-billion dollar corporation. They pay a hundred million, but overnight it turns into a billion dollar company. They net $900 million. That's what you're going to see with the best CBD products. That's like RX that Bar. These companies. That's like what happened with RX Bar. Yeah. Yep. They were bought by Kellogg for 600 and million. Skincare. Yep. Yep. Native underarm, you know, native underarm, pink, like all, all these different companies. You see it, skincare, shampoos, any, anything, they get to that mark. You'll see the same thing in CBD. And so then when companies like P&G start, you know, taking $100 million purchases of a CBD product or a cannabis product, and then taking it to the billion dollar mark, and it's right there on the shelf, neck to head and shoulders, and it says Procter & Gamble on it. Now we're in the golden round and yep. it's, it's just a matter of yep. time. It's a matter of time. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I've done a little bit of consulting for a few of these CPG companies. So uh, definitely attuned to, you know, the types of progress they're making in both of these sectors, which is, which is really interesting um, because again, it all goes back to that, you know, niche market aspect. You know, there's a reason why, um, you know, diapers, and it sounds kind of silly, do so well. I mean, babies and seniors are gonna, I mean, people are gonna shit every day. So diapers aren't going yeah. away anytime soon unless they can figure out a way to plug that up, but that's not, that's not healthy. Um, but to my point, you know, there are so many other niche market segments in the, can, in the cannabis and CBD space that are still very much untapped. And, and you know, you made a great point because, you know, I think the anti-inflammatory aspect of CBD products is huge. But I think that there's also other things as it relates to, you know, building brand equity and value out of these CBD brands. And that's the formulations, right? And, and the, the unique aspect of which those properties deliver that modality. And I think a lot of people are looking at CBD as like this cure-all rather than, uh, you know, no different than cacao as an element of, you know, Hershey's chocolate, right? It's, it's really just a part of an ingredient. And I think once people start to realize that um, when they start building these formulations and start building a little bit more niche messaging around, you know, who their demographic is, that's when they're going to start seeing the value and, and, and more importantly, acquisitions arrive, uh, you know, from, or, uh, come from rather, uh, you know, these big CPG brands. Well, without, without a doubt, and as it can be infused easier and more purely into other things as an ingredient, you're going to see the propagation of that as well. So that, you know, there'll be, you know, different companies selling that infusion. Uh, and now you can, you know, CBD anything, and it has some sort of effect uh, of healing 
in a variety of different ways because it has so much power not quite oxygen maybe closer to water but it has great power for us but even cbd infused water you know is at its inception and you know if if alkaline water is growing at the pace that it's growing you can't tell me one reason why cbd will not pace alkaline Mm -hmm. it's the same business it is it really is it's you know it's um it's almost further purifying water so to speak but you know, then there's an argument yeah. as to whether or not the water solubility of that particular CBD product is, uh, you know, something that will hold long enough to where your body will actually absorb the CBD. Absorb. You know, otherwise it's just like, you know, bull- right. bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. It's you a know? brand. <laughs> but I mean, so many brands fluff up the messaging on their packaging anyways. I mean, it's just what companies do. Um, so tell us now a little bit about this book that you wrote with entrepreneur, because I know we don't, we don't have a ton of time left and I want to make sure that I, I, uh, extract all of the good stuff from you that you're working on. So, um, you have this book, um, uh, well, you've got your podcast, the playbook, but then you've also got game yeah. time decision-making and, and so, yeah, that's a McGraw Hill book. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, tell me a little bit about that because I want to understand how perhaps what you've shared as insights in that book can teach me or others, um, you know, insight perhaps as it relates to the cannabis or CBD space. Yeah, for sure. So that book was written with 10 lessons on how to make more money, help more people and have more fun, kind of my recipe of being happy. So what I did was I used a sports analogy or a playbook type of format with the game time decision-making. And what I did was I took each chapter and took a lesson and kind of gave a pregame, it's called a pregame analysis of the lesson, talking about why the lesson's important, what the lesson is, uh, and describing that lesson to pregame. Then what I did is use sports stories uh, because of my experience of running notable sports agencies and marketing companies in sports, I have some really great stories that nobody has heard to teach the lessons. People love lessons and stories. Then what I do for each chapter is I give a post-game analysis. So now, after me pre-gaming the lesson, explaining and illustrating the lesson with these cool sports stories, I now give a post-game analysis to say, hey, this is what I wanted you to learn. This is what you were learning. And now I want to remind you, this is what you're supposed to take away. And so I did 10 different lessons in order to make money, help people and have fun with your life. And where it applies specifically to the cannabis space is that in that game time decisioning making is all the different periodical changes, decisions and effects that have occurred in all businesses through their transition and growth. So in the cannabis space, when you have accelerated growth, like in the NFL, like, you know, in sports in general, you know, it's unbelievable. These baseball teams that suck are selling for three, you know, $3 billion. Uh, You know, things are changing. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think, you know, to teach that decision-making process to build a business in CBD and cannabis or to market a business or to operate a business, you're going to learn, number one, how to make quick decisions based on your value that are aligned with the objectives that you have, especially if it's to create abundance or make money, help people and have fun. I think what's great about that too, and, and this applies to all businesses, but I think even more so the cannabis industry, you know, there's so much shit going on 
there's so many different opportunities. Um, but it also helps to remember how to be and stay focused, you know, um, follow, you know, a directive as it relates to this particular, uh, you know, journey your business is taking, but while feel free to like, you know, uh, be creative and, and, and take other paths. Don't forget about this one single mission. And because that mission applies to not only the business, but all of the people that are there working for you and supporting you, you know, you have to be mindful of, you know, you have to be mindful of that. Um, so I really love, I really love that. Awesome. Yeah. And I think the other books too that I've written is Connect to the Goodness, uh, Compassionate Capitalism and Creating the Life You Love with Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. So those are complimentary books about manifesting and, and how to create good with what you're doing. Which one of those books has been your all-time favorite to write so far? First book for sure. So Connected to Goodness, section one is my story. It's like all the details of that quick story I told yeah. in the beginning. And then I give seven principles to get what you want in life. And they're very pragmatic. It's I work with Napoleon Hill Foundation. Uh, they help me write it to make it a, kind of a think and grow rich type mm -hmm. of atmosphere. But it's a step-by-step, -step, seven principles, four key elements to each principle. Here's what you need to do to imagine what you want, to be inspired, to get it, and then pragmatically the discipline, strategy, and awareness in order to execute or create a reality or perspective of it. That by far is my favorite, my favorite is book. It, and I give it for free, oh, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I would love an autographed version, I can say. Even though I feel like talking to you, I've read now all of your books. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, you'll forget you'll forget everything I say. So you yeah, can read the I'm, books. Hey, again. I'm taking notes right here. I don't know. Um, all right, but good. Uh, you know. I've been thinking about personally writing a book myself and the thought is like so daunting. Yeah. Um, what did you do to get started in that process? Because I imagine that was probably pretty difficult and extremely time consuming. Yeah, you, you know, the first one was, but I've created a system and I'm going to share the secret sauce of writing books with everyone. And you're going to thank me, Jared, when uh, you write your book. So what I started to do was write down lessons and then I make a note of a story. So be more interested than interesting story about my brother. You know, just because someone loves you doesn't mean, you know, they give you good advice story about my mother. And, and so I created a whole list of all the things that either I thought about, I learned from other people I read about. So I create this huge list of lessons and stories. And then I create a topic for a book like game time decision making or compassionate capitalism or creating a life I love. And then I pick out all the lessons that I want. The stories are already there. I go ahead and now I actually teach those. So because they have these great AI tools like Rev that transcribes your voice. So I'll use one of my free trainings on Friday to teach a lesson, which will be a chapter in my new book. And all I do is transcribe it edit it, add some, you know, flair to it, send it to a publisher. They ask me some questions. I add a little more flair to it. Boom. Chapter one's done. I do it literally once a week, 10 weeks, my book's done. You write it, you write the intro after you read it once you read the whole thing again, you write the conclusion. Boom. You got a book done literally in six months. It's out the door and you're selling copies or giving them away. You made it sound, you made it sound like so easy. And you know, it's funny. It's like, it, <laughs> it's like when you put certain things into layman's terms, for people who are still kind of navigating where to start, even as a writer myself, because you know, I write for Entrepreneur and Forbes and High Times and you know 
now Beauty Packaging Magazine. I just had an article that just came out. So nice. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but, uh, you know, there, it, there's always a different starting point for, for many people. But when you put it like that, it makes it sound so much easier. Now, did you hire a ghostwriter then to take all of those stories and thoughts and then compile it into a, an actual one story, so to speak? You know, I didn't have to. I uh, The first book I wrote with uh, my general counsel, who's the one that inspired me to write it. That was the hardest one. We, we You know, I kind of gave him ideas and we wrote it together. Um, he was a wannabe script writer, but he was general counsel of my company. And so it was kind of a fun project and it turned out turned out awesome. That book, Connected Goodness, is awesome. Uh, otherwise, this system of me speaking and teaching and then, you know, the the editing part, I outsource, you know, to a publisher that edits it for me. But I, I, I you know, read it or spoke it. You know, I outline the chapters and then I teach it and then it's transcribed. Then I edit it, then they edit it. So I didn't really need a ghostwriter. That's what I like about the process that I've created is, if you like to speak and not write, you know, it's such a great thing to do because you just need an outline and guys like you that have been interviewing and are so great with the you know, power of the word, you know, I guarantee you, I, if I outlined it for you and said, here, just teach me these lessons and tell me stories about each of these lessons, you'd have a chapter with literally within an hour. Well, maybe you can, and then you can, you can either do me. the editing. Maybe you can mentor me on my first you, I do. I do. I do, I do one-on-one -on -one mentoring for that and uh, get in many people. I've written the forwards and mentored many, many books. So reach out. I got group or private. I'll be happy I to help. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that. And for everyone listening, they can also reach out to David um, or his assistant uh, and, and get in touch with him and, and bring him on as a consultant as well to help you know, navigate some of these uh, you know, decisions you're making as you're growing and building your business. Um, I know you have my vote. I think you're one of the most uh, intelligent uh, individuals I've spoken with in a, in a very long time. And I couldn't be more grateful and thankful to have had you on my show. So I really, really appreciate you, man. Oh, I appreciate you. Remember, genius is the expression of God. So just as people that have a clearer connection to the ultimate infinity and limitlessness, as our dear friend Ricky Williams will tell you, you know, I want everyone to be able to express their own genius. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to share. I do free trainings every Friday. You could start there with me. You can watch my videos. I'm happy to send you my signed book. I'll pay for shipping. Uh, Ebooks are fine. Whatever you need. Exercises, guides, books, trainings, all for free. And I'll give you my email address, david at dmeltzer.com. I do answer it myself, david at dmeltzer.com. So you have no excuse to not be empowered, to make more money, help more people, have more fun, and to be happy. And uh, this is one of my favorite podcasts. So thanks so much Dude, for having thank me you so on. Much. And now I need to come on your podcast one of these days. Yeah, you, you got it, man. We will rock and roll. Mine's just a little shorter, but you got to bring it hard. You, you'll be there. It'll be great. Oh, that'd be awesome. Now, I got one more final question. Um, do you smoke cannabis? Are you a, are you a cannabis consumer? So I, I am just in my wife is a much more habitual one. I have certain moments that I like to utilize it. <laughs> Obviously with four kids, I, I, I'm more, more careful, but I love, I love, uh, 
I probably shouldn't even say my favorite time to use it is before I uh, have a date with my wife. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> and then my second favorite is any concert in the world, especially reggae, uh, you know, something like uh, Steel Pulse or Common Sense or some of my favorite reggae bands. You know, I've been all over the world, uh, but I'm b- big, big fan at the right time for me because uh, unlike my wife, my wife gets very social. I don't get, I get more introverted. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> but I'm a thinker. I'm a thinker. That's good. You know, I think it, it, you know, my favorite strain is blue dream. I, I'm always smoking on my, uh, my buddy's stuff. They always, they always hook me up. Nice. Ah, uh, but to me, blue dream is the most creative. It's the most creative strain ever. It doesn't make me feel tired. It always just, it just keeps, it just yeah. keeps the blood flowing. So I love it. I love it, man. But seriously, thank you so yeah. much for coming on the show, yeah. bro. It's been an honor. It's been an absolute yeah. honor. Good. I I got the pure green background for you as well. So Woo. perfect. <laughs> hey, I've got I've got some I've got right. some green background here as well. Just not that. I saw that. It's <laughs> chronic, baby. All right, brother. Well, hey, thanks again, David. Um, uh, real quick, where can people find you? I uh, you know dmelzer.com, David Meltzer at David Meltzer, and of course David at dmelzer.com. Just reach out to me. I'm happy to provide anything you need. Just give me a perfect. call. Perfect. Hey, man, once again, much love, deep respect. Uh, Thanks again, and uh, until next time. Talk to you soon. Stay happy. Thanks, Jared. Stay high.